Hello everyone and welcome back to Nintendo Everything Refresh, the weekly show where we keep you all up to date on everything new and exciting in the world of Nintendo. I'm your host Nick Serpa, joined today by Nicholas Shade. Hello, happy to be here. Yes, happy to have you Nicholas. A um, bit of a smaller cast this week, but stay tuned because this is a bit of a special episode for, for Nicholas and I. Um, today we're going to be talking a little bit about the 3DS and the Wii U. Um, as I'm sure many of our listeners are aware, these consoles have had long lives, but by the time you're listening to this episode, the eShops ha will have been shut down for both platforms. Um, they were scheduled to shut down on March 27th. N Nintendo gave everyone, I want to say about a year's worth of notice that they were going to do this. And so... I think for a lot of Nintendo fans, this past year has just been all about, you know, picking up those games that a lot of us have missed, you know, going through our back catalogs a little bit, playing some of the classics, and uh, just kind of looking back on, you know, how these consoles impacted us and the memories we made with them and all that. So we're going to be dedicating at least the first part of today's episode, just kind of talking through some of our memories, some of our favorite games, you know the future legacy of these systems um, because I don't know about you Nicholas but uh, I was I was really bummed <laughs> when I learned they were gonna be shutting down these shops yeah it's definitely a bit an end of an era yeah I feel like you know the f looking back like I, I think one of the things that the 3ds and the Wii U are gonna be remembered for just beyond all of their amazing games which we'll definitely get to in a bit I think these systems just have both just such unique personalities, you know, in many ways it feels like they're carrying on with a lot of the charm and, and um, I guess personality really is the best word for it from the Wii days and, you know, in many ways introduced a lot of unique quirkiness and um, just really just unique consoles to use today, like going to them from the Switch booting it up, you know, going through through the eShop where there's music everywhere and, you know, all, all the built-in software, these little distractions that Nintendo liked to throw at everyone. Um, there just, there really isn't anything quite like it. And I wonder if we'll ever get Nintendo systems with that same kind of style, I guess, again. Yeah. I mean, like you said, it's a, it's a shame because the, the Switch really doesn't have that much personality. It's made to be very utilitarian in its design, um, be that the actual home screen or the eShop. And obviously that works. That's what they intended for it to be, and it fulfills that purpose. But there is something special about <laughs> opening up the 3DS and having, like, all these seven apps, the Face Raiders and, like, the AR scanning app. You open the eShop and there's all this music and this, like, the colorful image of the, um that little shopping bag person just kind of spinning yeah, in place. Yeah. Like that little loading music. And same thing with the Wii U. It also had like its own little quirks. It had like that little mini game when you open the eShop where you have like the match three with all the games you own. It's a whole lot of stuff that just, I hope that we get it back because it is nostalgic <laughs> and it is fun to look back on. Yeah. So, Nicholas, so, like, tell me about, like, what was your first memory with, with each of these systems? Did you own a 3DS and a Wii U? You know, how, how did you come across getting them? Yeah. What do you remember? Um, so, I did own both a 3DS and a Wii U. If I remember correctly, I got a 3DS sometime in, 
uh, I think the August or September of that year. It was after the price had dropped. Um, and Ah, yes. This the was, Ambassador Program. Yeah. <laughs> I barely missed out on the Ambassador Program, because I don't think the price was as much of an issue, so much as just the timing of it for birthdays and whatnot. Um, but this was at the time when I was, you know, I was still relatively young. I was playing video games, but it was mostly just the Wii and the DS. A lot of Pokemon, some Zelda still pretty restricted in terms of what I was doing, and I wasn't even convinced that I wanted a 3DS. Um, mm-hmm. And what changed that was actually Monster Hunter, <laughs> funnily enough, because I had seen oh, that wow. um, Monster Hunter 3G, uh, 3 Ultimate in the West, but announced as 3G in Japan, was releasing on the system, and that's what sold it to me as, oh, I need one of these. <laughs> Um, so I picked one up. I mean, hey, that's not a bad uh, that's not a bad reason to pick it's one up. It's a great reason to pick got one a ton up. Of, got a ton of Monster Hunter support over its life. It ended up being a pretty good decision. But it was also yeah. just... It was a good decision in general because the 3DS and then following that, the Wii U, were very formative experiences for me. I had played... Like I mentioned, I had played the DS and Wii when I was still a kid, and... You know, for as much as you enjoy Pokemon or whatnot, it's very easy to fall out of video games at a certain age, just because of everything else happening in your life. And it was the 3DS and the Wii U, when I was getting to the point where I could start appreciating games a bit more for what they were, and, you know, a bit more for the artistic, for the artistic value, looking into how the industry worked, um, that kind of, yeah. they got me to stay within that sphere of um, entertainment. And... I certainly wouldn't be where I am today if I hadn't bought that 3DS back then. <laughs> I mean, you know, we're working for Nintendo news sites. <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy to think like how all these little things can contribute to like who we've become as people, you know? Yeah. Like it, I know that it seems silly to say for like a video game system, but I think a lot of folks can relate to that. Yeah, exactly. Um, like the pe- even just the people we meet, what we end up doing, it's all shaped by a lot of the smaller experiences and these are a part of it yeah oh totally yeah um yeah for me personally i guess i'll start with the wii u because um the wii u i actually didn't pick up until a few years ago i want to say it was 2020 was when i finally picked one up and um you know i I didn't have one as a kid because we i mean we just were never the type of family that just had every video game console and uh, i think at the time the wii u had come out my my tastes were starting to develop a little bit more into other genres. Mm-hmm. You know, I always grew up playing Nintendo games. Um, my dad actually had an NES in the house growing <laughs> up, and um, some of my first games were like Super Mario Brothers three and oh, the original Tetris, awesome. and yeah, it was it was great. Um, I remember going with him to Blockbuster as a kid and, <laughs> and back when they still did game rentals and we would like rent NES games from Blockbuster and go play at home. It was crazy. Um, but yeah, we were always a Nintendo household. We eventually um, had a GameCube and then a Wii. And by the time the Wii U came out, you know, all my friends, they all had Xboxes and stuff. And after school, we'd go over and all play Halo. And I was like, I really want my next console to be the Xbox 360. So I ended up getting that towards the end of its lifespan um, instead of a Wii U. And, um, and yeah, so I just kind of missed that whole, that whole console during the peak of its life. And <laughs> peak. Going back at... <laughs> yeah, well, okay, yeah, maybe peak is a bit Relative generous. Relative peak, but, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Actually, it's probably peaked more now, now that <laughs> it's dying and everyone is like, oh my god, what is this thing? I want one now. <laughs> um, but yeah, the reason why I eventually picked up a Wii U a few years ago was honestly because I wanted to go play a bunch of the Wii games from my childhood, mm. and um, my TV didn't have composite cables, and I wasn't interested in picking up an original Wii, so I was like, shoot, we'll pick up a Wii U. And um, Yeah, there's some great games on that, but... Um, but the 3DS is definitely where a lot of my memories were. Um, I remember I, I got it for Christmas as a kid one year, and man, that thing, in, tw in 2012, the 3DS felt like the future to me, <laughs> you know? Like, I was like, oh my god, I have this thing in my hands, it has a 3D screen, I can play, like, it, when I was playing, like, Super Mario 3D Land for the first time, I was like, oh my god, this is incredible. This is like having Super Mario Galaxy or whatever in the palm of my hands. Right. I was blown away. Um, you know, and also, like, I mean, I guess 2011, like, you know, more people had smartphones and stuff, but it's, they still weren't, like, everywhere, I would say. And so I was like, oh my gosh, this thing can watch YouTube and Netflix. It was like, you know... I mean, it was a full multimedia device for, for most of its I mean, life. more so than the Switch, even. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could definitely make that argument for sure. Um, and yeah, and I think, you know, for me, like, the thing that... I mean, I played a lot of great Nintendo games on this thing, of course, but the 3DS was also, like, the first time I really started dipping my toes into other genres outside of, like, what Nintendo typically does. And... Um, one of the first third-party games I ever picked up on the system was Resident Evil Revelations, mm -hmm. which completely, I was just like, after that, I, I was playing horror games, I was playing more third-person shooters, and um, so it's, it's, it will always be a very special system for me in that regard, because I feel like it was like a huge part in, like, a huge part of like my development as someone who enjoys video games, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I think it was probably... So if, it was probably a very similar case for me. Um, probably a bit more mixed between the two, because I did pick up a Wii U, I think, basically at launch. I think, again, it was a Christmas gift, because it launched uh, at the end of the year. And a lot of that <laughs> that growing that I did as a person that enjoys video games was tied to both of them, in terms of experiencing, you know, indie games for the first time and other genres for the first time and whatnot, similar to what you did. Right, right. So let's look back at the games a little bit. Um, when you think about like your time, like with the th let's start with the 3DS <laughs> since I think we both have mm -hmm. the most nostalgia for that. Um, what do you think are are the games that like even looking back now you're like this game is really gonna stick with me? Um, I think Monster Hunter is a big one. Technically, that this is a bit cheating because it's uh, Monster Hunter 3 Ultimate was a game that was on both 3DS and Wii U. And I do think I played most of it on Wii U, but um, the game that came later, Monster Hunter 4 Ultimate, was exclusively a 3DS game. And I spent a lot of time on that. That was something, that was an experience that I shared with friends. Um, it was something that I put hundreds of hours in, and that will always kind of stand out to me. Um, another big one, I think, was Bravely Default. Because mm. I, as a kid... That explains a lot, honestly. <laughs> Right? <laughs> but as a kid, RPG-wise, I basically just only played Pokemon. There was a point where I had had uh, Dragon Quest IX as a child, and I played a few hours of that and got to a portion of the game where it opened up a bit, 
ran into an area that I wasn't prepared for, died to a strong enemy, and decided, oh, I, I'm not going to play this anymore. <laughs> like, I was sure, not sure. one... Like, oh, this is too hard, I don't get yeah. it, you know. Yeah, RPGs was yeah. just not a thing for me. And um, eventually, I started getting into them a bit more. Um, one of the big things that kind of changed that for me was Xenoblade Chronicles, which I think I played before Bravely Default. But Bravely Default mm. was my first time experiencing a more classic, traditional, turn-based RPG. Uh, and that, that really stuck out to me, because it was something that I'd always heard of. Like, I had seen all the YouTube videos on Final Fantasy VI and Dragon Quest IV and all these older RPGs that are, you know, now known as the classics. But I'd never experienced one myself, and this was the closest I had gone to that, and... I really enjoyed it. It made me kind of discover this genre that to me was always kind of restricted to just Pokemon and see, oh, there's actually way more than that out there. Yeah, no, that's, I think a lot of folks had a similar experience to you. I mean, people talk about the 3DS's RPG library and, you know, on one hand, when I look at it, I see, yeah, there are a lot of, you know, remasters and, you know, like, there's like several like Shin Megami Tensei remasters and um, some other stuff like that, you know, some older games that are brought forward. But when you look at original stuff too, I mean, there's there was a lot. Um, you know, Etrian Odyssey had, you know, a ton of games on the system. There were, you know, more unique kind of one-off things like uh, The Alliance Alive and um, just all kinds of stuff, you know. All, not just from Square Enix, too. We always like to say how many RPGs Square Enix puts out, but... Um, but yeah, I mean, that that is, I think, definitely going to be one of the things that people will continue to look back upon fondly um, for a long time. Yeah. RPGs were actually, like, funnily enough, like, they were, like, probably like, the one genre that I really didn't dip into that much onto the 3DS um, until very recently. I think for a lot of the same reasons that you expressed, it was just kind of opaque to me as a younger kid, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, oh my gosh, I'm trying to remember how old I was when, <laughs> when 3DS <laughs> came out. I, I was probably like, let's see. Do some I mean, it was 2011. Here. I guess I was, I guess I was like 14. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 14 or 15. So I was like, I was just about, you know, getting into like some of those things. But, um, but yeah, RPGs always el eluded me for a lot of the reasons you described. But, like, a lot of the games I ended up picking up in these final days of the eShop were a lot of RPGs. Like, I picked up um, the Shin Megami Tensei games that I missed. I picked up, you know, Persona Q and Q2. Because um, a lot of these things were built for the system and are just probably not ever going to get re-released. I, I really would be surprised if some of them did. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, you know, but when I look at the games that I did play... Um, at least on a first party front, the the game that just just rocked my world was Kid Icarus Uprising. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I um it I, I bought that game physically from GameStop and it was right before um, I went on a big vacation with my family. Little did I know that I would need a stand to play. Uh, so it, it was not the ideal <laughs> game to travel with. I was like awkwardly like hunched over in the car with like my 3DS sitting on this plastic stand in my lap trying to play this shooter game. Um, but that game was just like, it was the full package, man. Like on top of just a campaign that was just an absolute roller coaster of a ride. I mean, 
like so, just some of the best action on the system, outstanding visuals, outstanding music. I mean, even today, if you're picking up a 3DS, that game holds up so well and is like the perfect showcase for what the system can do. Mm -hmm. um, but also beyond that, like I had a ton of fun um, in the online play. It was really one of the first like games that I really played online with people, like with any regular basis. Um, it was also one of those games that really just took advantage of all the 3DS's features. Like the game came with those weird yeah. trading card mm -hmm. things that you yeah, could, like, scan cards. in with the, yeah. Yeah, um, which is like so like funny to think about nowadays, <laughs> you know. I mean, that was an entire um, thing in Japan too. They had like a whole sets of it. There were like over a hundred yeah. cards released there. It's kind of insane. Could you not buy the the Kid Icarus cards physically in the U.S.? I, for some reason, uh, I thought you could. I'm not um, sure. I, but I don't. I would be surprised if it was a big run. <laughs> yeah, that's something I would have to double check. Yeah. Um. But yeah, that game was a big one. Um, I'm sure, you know, like a lot of folks, Animal Crossing, of course, mm. was another one that I, I spent a ton of time in as a kid. Um, but over on the third party front, you know, like I said, that was really where I feel like I got to experiment a lot. Um, Resident Evil Revelations was really big. I mean, again, that was another, like, I feel like showstopper game. I remember when that was revealed, people were, like, kind of scratching their heads, like, what? Like, <laughs> this is running on a handheld? Like, 3DS was... Resident Evil? <laughs> Yeah, um, but I think people forget just how many, like, weird little, like, things like that we got in the early days of the 3DS. Like, another one I picked up that I played a lot of was the 3DS port of Metal Gear Solid 3. Yeah! <laughs> Which is, like, I mm -hmm. still feel is, like, probably one of the better ways to play that game. I don't know, it, it probably hasn't aged as well in the real world as, as in my head, but, like... I mean, the fact that's even I a thing know, is insane. <laughs> Right, um, yeah, and I uh, there was a there was an original like Dead or Alive game for the 3DS. That was one of the first fighting games I ever played. Um, I mean, there was just a ton of like I, I feel like third party support was really like looking back. I mean, there was some great stuff in there. Obviously, nowhere near what we're getting on the Switch today, but at the time, like seeing these games running in 3D on a handheld like that was like. You know, you couldn't get that really anywhere else mm -hmm. until the Vita launched, like a year later. <laughs> but, well, the Vita didn't have 3D. We though. all know how that. That's turned why out. it failed. The Vita did not have 3D, and you know, it's also kind of funny when you think about like, like yeah, we don't have a lot of 3D TVs anymore, but 3D gaming is still really big, like in VR. Yeah, like 3D gaming does kind of live on. This whole glasses-free technology. The whole idea of having something that just pops out at you. Yeah. Right. It, obviously, it's a very different experience, but, like, I don't know about you, man, but when I turn on the 3D slider on 3DS, I'm still, like, impressed by it. I'm still, like, you know, this is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, one, of, one of the things, the, the bad mistakes I made as a kid was um, there was a point where I, like, I don't know, I really needed the money or something, and I sold my original... Fat Boy 3DS, uh -huh. um, and uh, so there was a there's a huge chunk of time where I just like was not really playing any of those games, but then um, I want to say it was right after the Switch came out, um, I picked up uh, the new 3DS. Um, they had a uh, 
The, the main variant they had here in the US was the new 3DS XL, but there were a limited number of just the, the smaller, slimmer new 3DSs. Mm -hmm. And I managed to snag one of those, and um, man, like compared to the original, it's like, it's just such a great little system. Yeah, it had a lot of improvements, surprisingly. Like, other than the... Other than stuff like the C-Stick, uh, or just the general kind of shape of it, uh, the fact that the 3D is better, <laughs> there's actual improvements to that yeah, technology. Yeah, the eye-tracking thing. Yeah, the fact it actually just runs better. Like, there are several games designed with the system in mind that will actually run and perform better on the new system than the old. Um, the fact that it can play SNES games, which... To be completely honest, it seems very odd. Because <laughs> it feels like they should have been able to get SNES games running on the normal 3DS, but regardless... You would think. Yeah, that, that seems more like a... More like a, we don't want to figure out how to do this, than a, we physically cannot. <laughs> 100%. Yeah, there's no doubt. <laughs> um, but no, it's definitely a neat little system. I picked up uh, a new 3DS XL not super long after its launch. Uh, I think around the same time that I got Fire Emblem Fates, and I enjoyed one of those two things more than the other. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. <laughs> we, we, we won't get into that. That's going to be an all-day conversation, I'm sure. Um, yeah, I also always thought it was interesting how, with the smaller version of the system, it had the, uh, the swappable faceplates, mm -hmm. and I never picked any up, because you could never find them anywhere. But in Japan, they, I mean, they got a ton yeah, of them. they went crazy with them. Um, yeah. And it's, um, the one I have, it was, it was like the, the Black Friday version that they released one year. And they had a black version and a white version. And, uh, it's just, it's like super subtle. It's just like, mostly if, like from afar, it just looks like a white 3DS. But, um, when you're closer, you can see it just got like some Mario, um, I guess stencil kind of you know mm -hmm. inlay on it and um i just feel like it's just like a really classy system and then of course like you have the the colored buttons which are like throwback to the snes controller and um mm -hmm. yeah that was always fun just, yeah it just i don't know man it's all these little details that i just feel like make the 3ds just like so unique it's, it's definitely something i wish the 3ds xl had had to an extent because i always really wanted like some of the Monster Hunter faceplates. There's a really nice-looking Xenoblade one that had the uh, Monado, like, the special sword stretch across both screens. Uh-huh. But it was definitely... It was a neat little gimmick. It had some personality to the system. Yeah. Well, I guess we better talk about the Wii U, too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to leave it as an afterthought yeah. like the rest of the gaming culture did for the better part of a decade. But, um... <laughs> yeah, the Wii U is something else. I mean... I don't think there's too much to be said that hasn't already been said by others, but like, you know, the whole system was just very confusing to a lot of people. It never sold very well. A lot of people thought it was originally like an add-on for the Wii because the naming was confusing. Mm -hmm. um, the marketing with it only know, being gamepad. Or it focusing right, on the yeah, gamepad. The mar yeah, the marketing was confusing. Yeah, so a lot of people missed out on it. And, you know, even today, I think for a lot of folks, it wasn't wasn't as urgent, you know, when folks said the eShops were closing down, um, a lot of folks focused on the 3DS because so many Wii U games have come over to mm -hmm. the Switch over the past few years. Yeah. Um, but there is still a lot of good stuff, or I guess at least interesting stuff that remains trapped on there. Yeah. Um, I mean, to be honest, 
I personally, I'm more invested in the fact that the... I'm more disappointed, I should say, in the fact that the Wii U eShop is closing than the 3DS's. Um, for one fact, for like just one main reason, which is the virtual console. <laughs> Yeah, that's going to be a, a big loss. Yeah, because the, the Wii U um, had a wonderful virtual console. It had games, uh, basically everything except for, like, GameCube and Game Boy, like, original Game Boy, Game Boy Color, I think. You had uh, NES, you had SNES, you had N64, you had GBA, you had DS, you had Wii. It was just a huge library. And it's a way that I actually experienced a lot of older games, even some Wii ones that I had missed out on, or something like, say, Metroid Prime Trilogy, which was just so expensive to pick up physically, you could just get for Still is. $20. Yeah. yeah. Or, I think in the US, Xenoblade Chronicles had a pretty limited release, and getting a physical mm -hmm. copy of that nowadays is just ridiculous, even before it had gotten, like, the Switch release. But it was available on the Wii U for $20. Yeah, there's a lot of examples like that. Um, another big Wii one that comes to mind was Pandora's Tower, mm -hmm. which came out like right at the end of the Wii's life, and so physical copies skyrocketed in price and are still super pricey, but up until this week, you could get it for 20 bucks. Like it was just, and it was one of those things that I feel like Nintendo only really did because the Wii U was struggling so much, and they're like, well, if we don't have a lot of new games lined up, at least we can put some of our back catalog on there. Which honestly is why I feel like we haven't seen them put the same amount of care into what we have now on the Switch. Yeah. Um, because they don't have to, you know? The Switch is making so much money for them, they don't really have a reason to bring all their back catalog stuff in the same way that they did, yeah, you know? Yeah, it, it is disappointing. And let's not forget, like, you could play DS games on the, on the uh -huh. Wii U <laughs> with the dual screen. <laughs> yeah, which is wild, and it always felt kind of gimmicky because... Like, yeah, there's two screens, one of them is, cut, is a touchscreen that you use a stylus for, but, like, the form factor is so different that it never really felt quite right. <laughs> that being said, it's still <laughs> yeah. something I always appreciated. Like, you know, it makes sense to have to an extent, and it's still something where, similar to the Wii games, if there was just, like, a DS game you could not find or pick up, this was a way for you to experience it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely picked up um, a few DS games in the wake of, you know, the impending closures. Um, I picked up some some Kirby games that I missed, um, Metroid Prime Hunters, mm -hmm. you know. I, I mean, I can't imagine that game ever really getting <laughs> ported or remastered anywhere else. Not, not the best Metroid Prime game by any means, but, you know, still plays a role in that franchise. And so... Um, yeah, and, you know, third parties also put out a lot of their stuff, and yeah. um, nowadays, you know, on the Switch, a lot of that stuff is bundled together in the eShop, but, um, but yeah, it, it, I think a lot of people will always kind of miss the whole virtual console concept compared to what we have now. Although I will argue, uh, on the whole, I actually did really enjoy the Wii U as a system. Um, like I mentioned, I had gone pretty much at launch, and... As someone that was always kind of focused on Nintendo games and generally more first party than third party, it always it was a system that I really enjoyed. <laughs> it had a lot of first party offerings that to me felt basically just as good as what you would have found on previous systems. 
Like, you still had classic Mario games. Um, the remasters of the Zelda games were great, especially Wind Waker, because that was something I had never experienced. You had new experiences, things that I was kind of learning about for the first time, when you had stuff like Xenoblade Chronicles X. Uh, right. Smash Brothers for Wii Which, U was God, like the I, first... We all hope, we all want that to get ported. That's, a, <laughs> yeah, that's a different oh. story entirely. <laughs> but, <laughs> um... Smash Brothers for Wii U was like the first Smash Brothers game that I really got into. I had played Brawl, but Wii U was when I really started getting interested in the community and just the game in general. Sure, Pikmin 3 was sure. my first Pikmin game. It still had a lot of experiences on it that, uh, again, like I mentioned for the 3S, were pretty formative. And I am glad I was able to have. Um, <laughs> and being something someone that was only really interested in Nintendo it also never really the fact that it was such a dead system never really impacted me <laughs> because I didn't really have a means of reference to it and I was not informed enough to know like the specifics of why it was failing or frankly just how badly it was failing so I just got to experience um <laughs> we'll say its successes <laughs> We'll worry that yeah. way. Yeah, I mean, you know, looking at it just, like, as a whole, like, like picking it up now or recently, I mean, yeah, you're not getting, like, a ton of third-party games, but it didn't really matter because all the third-party stuff was playable elsewhere for the most part and in a better format. Um, but, like, on a first-party front, I mean, you have so much to, to go back and pick from. I mean, who wouldn't want to pick up Devil's Third for, <laughs> you know... <laughs> Okay. Okay. Low blow. <laughs> Low blow. <laughs> no, I'm just. Even that game has its defenders. I should have bagged on it. I haven't played it, but. Um, <laughs> but no, like no, there was a lot of really good first-party stuff on there, and even if most of it has come to the Switch, I mean, yeah, not all of it, and um, and I think you know some of it is probably still arguably best played on the Wii U, like. You know, for example, like Fatal Frame, uh, Made in the Blackwater, you know, that game was really built with the gamepad in mind, and yeah, it's got ported to other systems, but, um, but it, it's, you know, probably still plays best if you want the original experience on the Wii U. Yeah. You know, same thing with stuff like Star Fox Zero, and which were really built around the console, you know, even if you don't like that game in particular, you know, some of these games that were really built for it are, are probably just going to be stuck there. Yes. And we really should mention Nintendo Land, because I think that is yes. probably these, well, maybe competing with, like, uh, Duck Hunt and Super Mario Brothers, like, the best pack and title that Nintendo has ever had. It's such a good showcase for the system, while also just being such a fun video game with all of its references, and its actual, like, gameplay and... I love that game so much. <laughs> I, it's never going to come to anything else just because of how inherently tied it is to the Wii U and its concept. But man, that that game was something special. Yeah, I I don't th you know. I mean, clearly it didn't really resonate in the same way that like Wii Sports did, and I think that was that main reason that game got a lot of critique was because it wasn't immediately as um, understandable, you mm -hmm. know, like as a pack and title, but. I mean, compared to what we, I mean, we had arms, uh, not arms. Um, one, two, switch. Well, we did get arms. Yeah, one, two, switch. Thank you. 
uh, compared to that, I mean, Nintendo Land just looks like, well, yeah. you know, freaking, you know. <laughs> I mean, Nintendo Land was an actual showcase. video game, and that was its strength, in my opinion. Because, like, yeah, Wii Sports yeah. is fun, and it's fun to play with friends, but it's also very much, like, an experience thing. And I feel like Nintendo Land was genuinely, it was well-designed as a video game, and a lot of its little mini-games and its modes had enough depth enough depth that you could go back to it even nowadays and still have a lot of fun because there's just a lot to experience you had some uh competitive experiences that can only really work with the asymmetric gameplay that you have with the gamepad you have some fun single player experiences you have some really neat and interesting ideas for cooperative experiences like the, mm -hmm. the zelda game in particular where you have one person with the gamepad controlling the bow and then everyone else with uh wii remotes being just sword fighters is something that I played so much of with friends. I even played this with family that didn't usually play video games, and it was just really oh, fun. Yeah, no, that's great to hear. Um, yeah, luckily I think, you know, that's one of the games, one of the Nintendo games that will probably remain affordable and accessible for the foreseeable future, just because there were so many copies um, out there. Um, and honestly, I mean, I mean, you know, when you look at, like, the prices for, you know, secondhand physical Wii U games, most of the first-party stuff, I would say, like, I mean, some of it is still pretty close to full price, but there's very few, I think, first-party Nintendo Wii U releases that are, like, super shot up in price. Yeah. Um, I mean, it also helps that so much of them have just come to Switch, so there's not as much yeah. of a demand. Yeah. So... With everything, you know, I think we talked about this a little bit in previous episodes, but um, knowing that everything was going to be, you know, getting shut down, like, did you invest a lot of time and or money in trying to round out what was left in your collection, or have you mostly moved on, well, you know, practically speaking? for the most part, it's been a little difficult because the I haven't had access to my 3DS or Wii U for a few months now. Um, they're back at my like the family home basically uh so mm -hmm. i haven't been able to pick anything up but before then i did try and grab a few things um one of the things i had grabbed was uh metroid zero mission because i'd wanted to play a bunch of the 2d metroids around the time that metroid red came out admittedly that was still a while back but i think at that point we already heard about the um the eventual closure of the e-shops uh, other than right. that... But probably before we knew it was coming to Switch Online, right? Like, yes. we didn't have GBA announced <laughs> at that point. Yeah. <laughs> um, but other than that, not too much. But a big factor of that is that uh, I just generally like having a physical collection for games. I just like having, you know, set of games I can look at on a shelf. So most of the yeah. purchases I've done have been physical for that. And I did actually end up buying several games physically... Uh, before the games, before the systems closed, or the eShops closed. Uh, like, I'd bought in Theater Rhythm on 3DS, which is also kind of a poor decision now that we... <laughs> that <laughs> right, that right. The Switch version came out, but regardless. And I picked up some other games, like I picked up Color Splash. Um, I picked uh -huh. up... Uh, I don't remember what the the Kirby game, Rainbow Paintbrush, I believe. Um, oh, um... The Rainbow Curse. Kirby yes, and the Rainbow Curse. Yeah. So yeah. I, I did grab some things physically, um, under the assumption that they would probably also bump up in price because I don't think those games are ever going to get a Switch re release. Um and if I still had the systems with me, 
I probably would splurge a little on some of the eShop exclusives. Uh, things like, say, the Pushmo games on 3DS, for example. Things that, again, like, I mm -hmm. don't think will get released on Switch anytime soon, if ever. Right. Um, right. Because there is a lot on these systems that you can pick up. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's kind of hard sifting through it all and deciding, like, you know, my whole kind of mindset was like, all right, like, like, yeah, like, there are a lot of games on here that I, I could pick up, but... I mostly focused on things that were digital only yeah. or were, you know, just prohibitively expensive physically um, and stuff that hadn't really been brought anywhere else. Um, I ended up picking up, I think I mentioned earlier, you know, a lot of the RPGs I missed, you know, the Shin Megami Tensei games, a bunch of stuff had kind of got gone on sale, you know, several times throughout the year, um, which was great because it meant that I didn't have to spend as much money. <laughs> Um, but I also spent a lot of time focusing on a lot of the, you know, smaller kind of indie titles that I missed that I think are going to be forgotten about. Um, you know, in particular for me, um, Level 5, they, they put out a lot of interesting indies through their guild program. Yeah. And, you know, some of them are playable elsewhere, but a lot of them are not. Um, stuff like Crimson Shroud, you know, Liberation Maiden. I, I was actually going to mention, Liberation Maiden is like one of the first indie games. Well, I guess technically it's not indie. But one of the first like third-party games that I ever really played and really got into. Like that made a big impact on me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah, there was a lot of like really good stuff. Some of it, you know, with surprisingly high production values. Um you know, there was the uh, the Jet Rocket games, you know, those were kind of like 3D, you know, 3D platformers that just looked incredible on the system. Um, I also was really fascinated in some of the stuff that, like, Renegade Kid was doing back before they shut down. Mm -hmm. um, they, uh, they did some, like, weird, like, kind of experimental stuff on the eShop. Um, there was a DS first-person shooter called Moon... And they actually created a, a remaster of it for the 3DS that was only available digitally, yeah. which is notable because it's one of the few first-person shooters on the system. Um, hmm. But it was an episodic release, so you could play the first episode, I think, for free, and then the other ones you had to buy. Um, they did that a few times. So I, I was really interested in, like, whenever a company would put out a 3DS game that was just, like, in a weird genre or was really trying to like push the graphics for some reason. Um, those types of like edge cases were always fascinating to me, so I picked up a few things like that. Yeah. I will say, <laughs> for how great it was that there were so many games released on the 3DS and Wii U, that was also the period of my life where I had to learn very quickly what to prioritize in terms of <laughs> the games I would buy. <laughs> Because there were just so many things released, and you would see reviews for all these games coming out that were good, and my underdeveloped brain would be like, oh, well, I should get this then, without really taking into account whether it was something that would appeal to me personally. <laughs> right. So, th this was the time where I really had to learn. I I had to learn through experience pretty fast how to start budgeting what I did or didn't get. Because <laughs> I definitely picked up a lot of games that are considered classics on those eShops that... Uh, just did not appeal to me personally. 
So yeah, it's it, easy to get caught up in the hype. Yeah. I think is what you're getting. At, yeah, basically. Right? Yeah, I mean, and like I, you know, it's we're lucky to be you know in positions where we can pick up some of these older games, but um, but yeah, it's you know a lot of this stuff is just going to kind of be gone, and it's it's a shame. Mm-hmm. But um, but I think you know as long as people keep talking about these systems and. You know, hopefully down the road we might get remasters or remakes of some of these games. I mean, it's inevitable, I think, for some of the stuff that it won't be yeah. completely gone forever, right? Yeah. And to be fair, some of these but, classics um, have come to other systems. Like, I think Mutant Muds was one of the biggest um, 3DS exclusives. Like, one of the big flagship 3DS eShop titles. And I think that's that's mm-hmm. released on, on Wii U and then now it's come to Switch, so it's pretty easily accessible. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of little cases like that where things have been brought over. Um, and yeah, and I'm sure, you know, especially as people from our generation get older, right? People who have this nostalgia are like, gosh, remember that, you know, weird, obscure <laughs> Wii U game from yeah. 20 years ago? We should bring that back. And you never know, man. Stranger things have happened. Dylan's rolling <laughs> Western one day. Yes, yes. Uh, all right. Well, is there anything, any closing thoughts, Nicholas? I, I, we do have some news we should talk about as well, but <laughs> I mean, any, any f- eulogies that you want to share? Really just like <laughs> rest in peace at this point. The systems are pretty much dead. They might get like a few very small quirky releases here and then. Um, but the shops closing really are just marking the, yeah. <laughs> the pretty much definitive death of these systems and um they were very formative experiences not only for me and you but i'm sure a lot of other people and it's sad to see them go but at the same time i appreciate what uh we got through them yeah exactly um yeah i'll just say this if you're listening um if you have a 3ds i will say make a backup of your sd card um you can you can pretty much just take an SD card and plug it into your computer, and um, you can back up the entire thing. I would recommend doing that because even though the there's say, Nintendo is saying that you'll be able to re-download your games in the future, we really don't know how long that will last exactly. So I always think better to be prepared. Um, not as easy to do on the Wii U. Um, <laughs> the Wii U the external hard drives are encrypted so there's no real way to back those up so just turn on your wii u every now and then (laughs) so it doesn't get bricked oh gosh that was quite the headline to to read that day (laughs) i was like oh oh no (laughs) it begins (laughs) uh all right well we should probably get into our news block Uh, i'm sure this won't be the last time we talk about these legacy consoles at this point but um definitely some some news for the the current nintendo console that we want we want to get to um, some game announcements this week. I want to start with the big one, which is a l- open world Lego racing game called Lego 2K Drive. Uh, this was just announced after it was kind of leaked a little bit. And it's, it's, I think the, the back of the box quote for this would be Forza Horizon, but with <laughs> Legos. <laughs> I mean, yeah, honestly, um, I mean, for one, I think the, the state in which it was announced is, at the same time, kind of unfortunate, because no developer ever wants their game to be leaked like this. Uh, at the same time, it <laughs> the response to it was basically, hey, we know that you know, so just stay tuned, we'll have something to announce next week. 
<laughs> which is a good way of kind of yeah. twisting it. Uh, I think the game itself yeah. looks pretty darn promising. Uh, I'd still have to know exactly what it's going to be, because I I still don't fully understand if it's supposed to be a more conventional racing game or if it's going to kind of um, take inspiration from the other Lego games they've made, like, say, Lego City Undercover, and be partly sure. an adventure game. Um Regardless, it looks really nice. The graphics are nice. The actual car driving is good. Uh, the trailer they put together, really cute. <laughs> so, yeah, they presented it well. Uh, I'm very curious in seeing more about it. Yeah, as far as I can tell to answer your question, it does seem less like a, like a story-focused experience, like you were talking about, and just more like a straight-up racing yeah. game. Um I mean, at least that's kind of the vibe I get based on, you know, some of the previews that are out there. Um, the big thing is you can also, you know, obviously with Legos, you can build your own vehicles, right? And there's a lot of destruction as you can tear through structures and things like that. And um, yeah, it just looks really charming. I, I hope it runs well on the Switch. Um, the Lego games generally seem to do pretty well with that, so I'm not super worried, but... Um, but yeah, it's I, I've got you know I love a good racing game, and even though I don't really play a ton of the Lego games nowadays, I, I do still have a lot of love for that. You know, growing up with Legos, as I'm sure many of us did, and um, I'm interested to see how it plays. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess one of the my... kind of it it's it seems like it's also not like one big open world. It seems like you've got these different kind of biomes, for example, that you're kind of racing around in. So. I think there's going to be a lot of variety in it, for sure. Right. I think my main confusion is just because I've never really... Um, I've never played an open-world racing game before or really seen one. Uh, so I just don't have a basis for how something like that would be structured. Oh, okay. Really? So you've never played like something like Forza no, or Need for Speed? I'm just or not... Like uh, I've never had much experience with racing games past Mario Kart, basically. Oh, wow. Um, but I'm interested in this, so. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a dense genre. Um, you know, I think overall, like nowadays, we, we probably get fewer releases overall than we used to. I think 360 PS3 days was probably when we got the most of those types of games. Um, so all the ones coming now, I feel like, are, are all really good. For me, the appeal is, you know, I generally lean towards the more realistic ones because... I mean, you know, they, they recreate these places or the feel of these places in such convincing ways that just, at least for me, and maybe it's more of an American, you know, focused fantasy, but just the idea of just like driving these just beautiful, expensive cars through, you know, countryside and all these beautifully rendered cities. And, you know, it's just, it, it I think it appeals to a lot of the folks who enjoy this idea of exploring um, and yeah you know the general structure is you know with these types of games um, you do have a lot of just kind of like point-to-point -point races or circuit races um, but in between races you're free to just kind of drive around the world and mm -hmm. seek out little hidden challenges and um, so they're they're pretty you know they're pretty open-ended experiences generally speaking and um, and yeah I think you know I don't know if you're aware, but they, they, there actually was, in a recent Forza game, they actually had a whole Lego kind of expansion. <laughs> no way. Where, really? Oh. 
Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So you're like race you're like racing through like this hyper realistic world in like these Lego cars. <laughs> it was like it was pretty yeah, amazing. That's great. Huh. Yeah, this feels like the natural evolution of that. <laughs> um one the one thing that gives me pause, I don't think we've ever seen this for a Lego game before, but there are uh, multiple editions of this game, yeah. including a $120 edition uh, that includes multiple new vehicles, a vehicle flare, and a like a season pass that includes like new biome and some stuff like that. Um, I've never seen this in a Lego game before, and I, I think this is where the 2K part of this yeah. game comes in. <laughs> because uh, 2K loves their loves their microtransactions and expansions and all yeah, that. Yeah, that's just sadly where a lot of the industry is going now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a little wary about that. But we'll see. We don't have too long to wait for yep. this one. Um, May 19th. So right around the corner. Um, another, I think kind of, this one is a, a surprise for sure. Um, Sonic Origins, which just came out last year is getting another game, but it's the same game, but also not. Um, it's called Sonic Origins Plus, and it includes everything in Sonic Origins, but it also includes uh, 12 Sonic Game Gear titles and some extra playable characters, um, some extra like harder missions, you know, new animations... It's a it's an interesting release. It is worth noting that you can buy this new content if you own the original Sonic Origins, which is a good thing. Yeah. Because um, I think a lot of folks would have been <laughs> kind of annoyed if there was this better version that came out <laughs> less, like a year yeah, later. Well, sorry. Uh, please give us more money. Oops. <laughs> yeah. No, this uh, seems fun. Um, the fact that you can play as Amy for me is kind of. I don't have that much experience with Sonic, so I don't know how highly requested these Game Gear games are, but to me what the most interesting part is that you can play as Amy, (laughs) because she never really had much of a role in any of these um, pre-Sonic adventure games. So the fact that they're actually trying to feature her a bit more uh, is pretty new. (laughs) And it's actually... It's interesting because um, I just don't know how she's going to differ gameplay-wise. Because, again, this is just a new concept for the character. And I'm curious how that's going to affect the level structures. If there's anything interesting you're going to be able to do with that. Yeah, I can't imagine it being this huge, you know, game-changing thing. Um, I don't believe this was something that a lot of people were asking for. I also don't think a lot of people are asking for the Game Gear <laughs> games. I mean, to be frank, I know next to nothing about the Sega Game Gear, um, but I was watching the trailer and I didn't recognize a single Sonic game in there really. And <laughs> I'm sure there are some some loved entries in there, but I, I have um, heard of Mean Bean Machine. I think mostly for the name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. There's a lot of like, kind of quirky things. Um, but I, I guess it does kind of add to the whole concept of Sonic Origins, right? Which is like this is kind of an archive slash greatest hits collection. Yeah. So I guess having more games and that is not a yeah, bad thing. By any means. No reason not to have more games, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I just wonder why they didn't just like 
why are they re like this seems like stuff that just should have could have been in there maybe i mean some folks did feel like sonic origins was like not the best package overall um you know considering i think partially the price but also there were some like glitches and i remember the developer had to come out and make some comments on twitter <laughs> saying we're sorry and you know yeah it's just, it's just uh, the whole release has been weird it's possible that it was always kind of the plan to have a more expanded version of the game but they just wanted to have an original version first and then have like the additional content tacked on later in like this new version and so that uh, that first release ended up being a bit rushed maybe i'm not sure right. but hopefully this version is better uh they have the, the games are hopefully enhanced in terms of how they're emulated. Um, I guess we'll have to see. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess we'll find out. Um, but yeah, if you're just getting it as an upgrade for Sonic Origins, it's a $10 DLC, so not too shabby. Um, and the physical edition of the game is going to go for 40 bucks. So, uh, so yeah, at least Sonic fans have some options. Um... In other Sonic news, we don't normally talk all the time about game updates, but we talked quite a bit about Sonic Frontiers last year, um, so I figured this one was at least worth mentioning. Um, there's a decent amount of DLC planned for Sonic Frontiers. Some of it has already come out. Nothing super substantial at this point. Um, but the most substantial update to date just came out this, this past week. It's called the, they're calling it the Sights, Sounds, and Speed Updates. <laughs> and yeah, in a nutshell, it includes some new challenge modes. Um, so there's a boss rush mode, which I think a lot of people will enjoy. There are some really interesting bosses in Sonic Frontiers, I feel like. Um, there's a cyberspace kind of mode that just stitches together a bunch of the cyberspace stages into kind of also a similar kind of boss rush challenge, you know, that type of experience. Um, and there's a photo mode, which I think would be useful on every version except for the Switch version, because <laughs> the Switch is the ugliest place to play this game. <laughs> yeah. Still, it's nice um, to see. Um, the game is getting yeah. a bunch of... all. I, I believe they're all free updates, right? That's what we've heard so far. Yeah. Yeah. There's um, new playable characters are coming later on. That will be interesting, I think. Right. Because um, given the open world structure. These updates are still relatively minor at this point, but uh, I believe like the, the last one they have slated, I don't know if they have any kind of date ready for that yet or not, but that last update they have slated does seem to be pretty substantial. So that'll be interesting to see how that turns out. Yeah, we know everything is coming in 2023. Um, the third update for Sonic Frontiers, that's where they're promising new playable characters and new story content. So, um, I personally, I don't think the, the story in Sonic Frontiers was anything like incredible, but, um, but some people did think it did some interesting things, and it did do some interesting things with some of the characters. I don't want to get too into it. It's still kind of a newish game, but... Um, but yeah, it's, hey, free support is better than no support, right? <laughs> or <laughs> really anything, I guess. So so yeah, so that is out now if you're looking for more Sonic Fix. Um, we also have an update on Fire Emblem Engage. They've been just chugging out that DLC pretty much nonstop since that game has come out. And we actually have a release date now for the final wave of DLC for that game. 
This is uh, the Fell Xenolog DLC. It's the big kind of narrative-focused expansion that's uh, included in the expansion pass. And that is coming out April 4th, so next week uh, by the time you're listening to this. Yeah. Which is crazy. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen Nintendo release DLC so quickly. Yeah. I think if you needed any evidence, any other evidence that uh, they've been sitting on Fire Emblem Engage for several months to possibly over a year, it's the fact that they've released all of the DLC for the game, like month after month with no delay, including the big like story expansion. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know about you, but I kind of assumed that we weren't going to get the story uh-huh. expansion yeah. until maybe the fall. Well, yeah, I think I'd even know? pointed out, like, it's very bizarre that they've been releasing all these characters, like, so regularly month to month. Because you you would think that the story, the actual big story, would take longer to come out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's a good point. Um, but the plus side is, you know, folks obviously don't have to wait as yep. much. Um I'm curious to see, again, I haven't really played Engage, but um, the story, I think, was one thing that fell flat for some folks, mm-hmm. and um, I'll be interested to hear after this expansion comes out if it kind of changes people's perception of the plot yeah. in any way. It seems like for the most sense, for the most part, it's basically alternate universe, um, and this time you team up with the bad guys against the good guys, so you get the ability to use just different characters and classes compared to a normal playthrough yeah yeah so probably nothing earth shattering yeah i don't but, think it's going to change um, any big implications on the plot or whatever but it should add um some cool variance in gameplay all right well we'll find we'll find out in a week or two i also think um, that it's adding new classes that you can bring into the main game after you complete the xenolog so it will actually adjust um some of what you can do in like the main campaign as well. Yeah, yeah, it'll add a little bit of replayability for folks who want to go back and revisit that. Mm-hmm. Um, although these games are so freaking long, <laughs> that I, I can never imagine doing that personally. Um, yeah, so yeah, that's right around the corner. Um, and then one other release date update that we wanted to share really quick. Uh, we're not hitting on everything. There was actually quite a bit of news. I know we didn't have an episode last week, so there's a little bit of stuff that we're just not going to get to, but I wanted to shout out this one in particular, since it's a fairly big franchise. Um, So the next game in the Science Adventures franchise is called Anonymous Code, and uh, we've gotten quite a few games in this franchise on the Switch. Um, This one, you know, is the newest one. It has not had a release date for a while. We now know it is coming September 8th, 2023. Um, it's actually the first entry in the franchise to have both English and Japanese voice acting, so that's really exciting. It kind of just goes to show, like, how big this franchise has gotten. Um, these games used to take forever to get localized, if at all. And, um, I think there are some that still are kind of stuck over in Japan, if I remember correctly. So, it's always, it's great to see that this franchise has gotten so much bigger that we're finally able to get an English voice acting for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were talking earlier, I actually was not aware that Science Adventure was the name of the franchise. I thought that was just, like, the genre for the title. <laughs> um, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's neat. Um, the fact that it's such a long-running franchise and that it's getting this kind of gradual improvement where it's getting these this uh, English and Japanese dub shows that it's kind of... I assume it it's kind of breaching into the this international market more deeply than it has previously. 
which is always great news for any Western fans of series like these. Yeah, it's the whole the franchise has a very interesting history, all things considered. Um, the um, there was a release last year. I want to say it was the pack that included Chaos Child, uh, which was a port, and then there was another one, uh, the name of which is escaping me. Um, but for a while, it seemed like uh, one of the games wasn't going to uh, get localized or be made widely available um, because Steam actually removed it. And the Switch was going to be the only platform where it was going to be available. Um, but that has changed, um, and that game did end up coming out on Steam as well. Um, but yeah, the nice thing about this franchise is, you know, from my understanding is that you can play these games like in a certain order, like they do all connect to each other, but they're also good as standalone experiences. Um, they all kind of take place in different timelines and different realities and all that. It's, it's very trippy stuff. So, um, and a lot of folks regard the franchise as just, you know, one of the best, you know, visual novel series you can get into nowadays. I mean, it's become a huge multimedia sensation um, in Japan. There's anime and all kinds of stuff. So, um, so yeah. All right, uh, let's get into our recent releases. Um, for the past two weeks, not a ton of stuff, but definitely some stuff we want to shout out. Um, the big third-party release, I would say, has been the new Adelir game, Adelir Ryza 3, Alchemist of the End and the Secret Key which is the end of <laughs> this particular Adelir <laughs> sub-series. Yeah. <laughs> which is honestly kind of wild, because I feel like um, Ryza specifically has kind of become the face of Koei Tecmo in a lot of ways. So the fact that there's just like, yeah, no, this is the last game with Ryza is very funny to me. It's not what I would have expected from them. Yeah, it's, um, it's just, it's so funny to me, like, I... I'm still shocked at just how long this series has been going on. The fact that they put out a new game every single year mm-hmm. and the quality has just been getting consistently better. Like, there are some folks, you know, who say that these Ryza games are some of the best RPGs that Koei Tecmo has put on the system. And, um, and you know, I've always been curious about them and they seem to have a lot of charm and personality and... Um, the fact that they made a whole trilogy with just this one character means they must have been doing pretty well. So, yeah. um, and from what I've heard, it's been reviewing pretty yep, well too. I, I so. see people enjoying it. So, <laughs> yeah. So if you're looking for another big meaty RPG to fill these spring months, <laughs> um, you're probably good with this one. Although you probably want to play the other two God, first since it's the, how many Adelir games are there? <laughs> <laughs> if this is another series I want to oh. get into. <laughs> Too many. Oh, no. Are you talking about like the entire yeah. thing? <laughs> oh well, the good thing is like you don't actually have to play every single one because they they are kind of their own. Um, like you could play just the Rise of Trilogy, for example, and that's like its own kind of self-contained story. Right, um, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, but that's no fun, oh, right? Lord. Like if you don't play every game, can you really call yourself yeah, a fan? Yeah, I'm just scrolling a list. <laughs> And I am having to scroll way more than I would want to. <laughs> yeah. There's 24 main oh games God. in the franchise. 
divided into seven subseries, according to uh, the Wikipedia page. Well, at least... And that doesn't include spinoffs. <laughs> well, at least for fans of the Adelier series, um, this is definitely not the end. <laughs> Just in general. No. So... It will probably never no. end, would be my guess, as long as it keeps making money. <laughs> uh. Um... If you're looking for something a little bit more action-focused, you may be interested in the recent port of Remnant from the Ashes. Um, actually, the, Tom did a video on this over on uh, the Nintendo Everything YouTube channel, so go check that out if you want to hear his thoughts. Um, it doesn't sound like it's the most impressive version of this game as a port, um, but it doesn't sound like it's the worst either. Yeah. So I've seen some people just if you think don't have any okay. other way to play it, yeah. 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 It's serviceable. Um, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, this one is, is kind of cool. So it's it takes a Souls-like structure, which I know we hear that word all the time now. It like has almost lost its meaning. <laughs> but um, but it's actually... It's it's less of a combat-focused game, and it's, it's a little bit more of a shooter. Like You do have some melee options in this game, but you're doing a lot more ra- ranged attacks mm-hmm. in this game. I think that's one of the main things that sets it, it apart. It's also got more of a, a science fiction setting. It's a little more post-apocalyptic. Um, lots of bosses and stuff, obviously. It's certainly not an easy game from what I've heard, but um, it's one of the more unique entries in that kind of genre if you're looking for something a little bit different than all the typical fantasy settings that we see a lot of. Yeah. This is not something I'm very familiar with. Uh, I believe it originally released stuff. A- few years ago on other systems maybe just steam originally and i think people had a positive reception to it then yeah it's on pretty much all the platforms at this point um i think it was even given away as a free playstation plus game at one point well you know free with a playstation plus subscription (laughs) so nothing's ever really free (laughs) Um, but yeah yeah it's it's kind of funny i feel like there's like a life cycle for these types of games uh where they you know they start on steam and then if they do well enough, then eventually they'll get ports to PlayStation and Xbox. And then eventually, once those games have had their run and you know gone free on Epic Games or something, then eventually they'll get a Switch port yeah. <laughs> uh, at full market price. Yeah, you'll wait <laughs> so. like two years and be like, okay, this isn't getting a, a Switch port and pick it up on Steam. And then within like a the week, it will get a port. <laughs> yeah, 100%. <laughs> um... There's a, a little indie game I wanted to shout out because I think this one was featured in a Nintendo Direct at one point, or maybe it was an indie world, I can't quite recall. Uh, but this one is called Storyteller, and the this is an Annapurna game, and I know that's enough to get folks interested, but the whole gimmick behind this game is you are given this kind of prompt. There, It's, um, <laughs> Ken Levine, he, you know, when he, this is gonna sound totally tangential, but I promise it's relevant. <laughs> Uh, when when Ken, Le- Ken Levine left uh, Irrational Games, he said his next game, the whole premise was he wanted something, he wanted it to be called Narrative Legos. That was the idea <laughs> behind his next game. And that's basically what this game is, is Narrative Legos. You're given like a prompt, and you're given different pieces, and you have to make a story by putting these like kind of stickers in a certain order. So like, if you look at the screenshots, for example, uh, over on the eShop, you'll see like, the prompt will be like, care to vampirism, like vampires. And so then you have to arrange the different characters 
in like these six panel comic strips of sorts and make it tell a cohesive story. It's an interesting idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's something that uh, when it was originally shown, I think we'd point out and talked about briefly as like being a really cool and interesting concept. Um, I think it's been reviewing fairly well as well. People have been liking it. I believe the ma- the general gist is that it's a little bit on the shorter end, but the concept itself is really appealing, which makes sense. That's pretty much what I would expect, honestly. Yeah, it. I wouldn't say it's anything earth shattering, um, but it's a cool idea nonetheless. Mm-hmm. And it's only 15 bucks, so I think that'll be enough to tip some folks over. Um, Okay, and then the last release, I actually wanted to talk about this first, but Nicholas, I know you've been playing it. Uh, Bayonetta Origins, Cereza and the Lost Demon, came out a few weeks ago. And uh, this is the brand new Bayonetta spinoff game that takes a totally different approach to this franchise. Um, how far into it are you, Nicholas? Um, Hard to say, but I think I'm probably nearing the halfway point. I've put in uh, probably just under a dozen hours, I would say. So it's definitely not okay. super, super short, but it's not going to be like a, an incredibly long experience either. And overall, like where are you at with this? I know you've enjoyed the other Bayonetta games, <laughs> and this is just completely different for this franchise. Yeah, um, I was kind of... I wouldn't say iffy, because the game did seem interesting, but I wasn't entirely sure if I was going to pick it up at launch uh, when they showed it during the Game Awards, I believe. Uh, but mm-hmm. then I played the demo, and the demo sold me just because it kind of confirmed to me that they just they just went wild with the game's presentation. <laughs> uh, it looks way too pretty. It has good music. The atmosphere that's set up is just awesome, and all of this is kind of carried over into uh, the full experience now that I've actually picked it up. Uh, it's just really fun. It's not a huge innovative jump the most you could say for it in terms of it being like a brand new experience is that the idea of controlling these two characters is relatively novel there's a few other games i've done it before but it's never been a it's not something that a lot of the industry has tried or adopted so that's neat even if it takes some it takes a little bit of wrapping your head around the concept uh but for the most part the game is just really carried by its presentation it's a beautiful game uh, the way it presents its story is really entertaining. Uh, it very much go leans into the whole fairy tale concept with the narration and the, the sort of picture book like stills in which you experience the game. It still has some classic mm. Bayonetta elements in terms of uh, journals you can pick up for world building and a whole bunch of description of characters and enemies, just like a lot of, I think, pretty much all the Bayonetta games. Um, they give you more background on the world. Which I would argue is arguably, I would argue is even more important uh, in this game because of the whole fairy tale aesthetic. Uh, having more context on this world and its story is very appreciated, and it makes it feel a lot more alive. So, I've really been enjoying exploring the game. I will say it is a bit, I guess, constrained. I wouldn't say it's linear because it is very open. In fact, the map almost feels Dark Souls-like in a bizarre way, where it's just a very, oh, wow. very large That's interconnected surprising. hub. Uh, there's a whole bunch of different sub-areas you go to, and each of the sub-areas is like four or five different entrances and exits uh, that you just can use to get to other sub-areas. 
So it's all a very interconnected map, like a Dark Souls game. Uh, but at the same time, the areas, the areas do themselves do feel constrained. They aren't huge, and a lot of them are kind of just hallways. So there isn't a huge amount of diversity gameplay-wise there. But again, it's the presentation that carries it. Because even if you're just walking down a hallway, essentially, it's gonna be one of the prettiest hallways you've seen. <laughs> It's gonna be like a beautiful winding tree trunk covered in moss with like a waterfall in the background and like these these fantastical fairy elements. It's just a really pleasant experience because of that. Yeah, it, it's, you know, coming out like so soon after Bayonetta 3, it's just a huge contrast to that game. And, you know, they kind of hinted at how this could be the start of kind of like a sub-series, potentially, depending on how it sells. I mean, after having played this, like, do you think, like, there's potential for them to expand this concept further? Um, I know you haven't beaten the game yet, but... Right. Like, as an idea, you know, like, would you like to see more abandoned games um, like this? I mean, I think it depends on the direction. For instance, I as much as I think the, the gimmick of having... Uh, these two characters you control is interesting. I don't know that I would want to see that necessarily return in another game of the style because it just kind of it does feel like more of something you have to wrap your head around than it does like a genuine uh, just a a feature to be selling the game on basically. Um, so I think if we did get something else in the style, I would like the controls to be maybe a little bit more traditional. That being said, mm -hmm. uh, if I want something in this genre, in this style, absolutely. <laughs> in a way, it kind of reminds me of Okami, and I love Okami. <laughs> it's always been sad to me that we've never yeah. gotten another game besides um, Okami and then the DS sequel, which was still good, but didn't exactly fulfill the desires of, of most of its fans in terms of wanting a true sequel to the game. And this feels a lot like that where it's action-adventure-like, it has some Zelda-like elements in terms of the abilities you unlock. Um, it leans heavily on a very unique art style. It feels like it's using that kind of strength <laughs> that Platinum has and just hasn't been able to really take advantage of, And aside from a few projects like, I suppose, Astral Chain in a way. Um, and it's really kind of putting that talent to use. And I would love to see what more they can do with this kind of concept in mind. Yeah, and you know, on top of all that, as an added perk, um, Kamiya, the game's director, uh, he thinks it's going to increase the birth rate in Japan. <laughs> so that's exciting. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> did, did you hear about yeah, that? Yeah, <laughs> I saw that. It's um, you, you play Bayonetta Origins. Yeah. You see what a cute child Cereza is. <laughs> you want to have a cute child like Cereza to take care of. <laughs> birth rate increases. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's it's quite the um, progression. I don't know Full if I'm proof totally logic, convinced. Clearly, like, I'd I would love to be proven wrong <laughs> by this one video game. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be great. So Nicholas, on top of on top of Bayonetta Origins, what else have you been playing lately? I know it's been a few weeks since we've caught up. So the main thing I've been doing is uh, just kind of focusing on Kirby's Return to Dreamland Deluxe. Uh, completed that. So what that entails is just beating the extra mode for the game. Uh, getting all the collectibles for that, and then beating the True Arena. Basically just getting what I think qualifies as crown percent for the game, which is just doing essentially everything you can for it. 
Wow, so you, you beat the main game and then you went right into the extra mode. Yeah, I, I mean, I tend to like completing the games that I own if I can, uh, and this didn't seem like something that would be too difficult to do, so I jumped back into it, and it was actually pretty fun. Um, the extra mode made more changes than I expected. There's a lot of things, especially near the end, in terms of boss fights that are changed, even just certain puzzles that are slightly altered, so it was actually a pretty fun experience. Yeah, no, I mean, hey, more power to you, <laughs> getting the most out of your out of your money. Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm really just, I think I've learned I'm just not that type of gamer. Like, I just, once I beat a game, usually I'm done with it. You know, yeah. I might pick it up again a few years down the road if it's something I hold a lot of nostalgia for. Um, like I've replayed some games, but it's got to really be something. And so the idea of just going into a second playthrough of something I just beat kind of makes my brain hurt a yeah. little bit. Like, <laughs> I mean, whoa. admittedly... When I look at my backlog, I'm like, why would I do this to myself? Admittedly, I think I'm pretty similar. Like, there's a lot of games that to complete it, I would have had to do a second playthrough. Um, first one that comes to mind is uh, Wind Waker HD, where you have to go through hero mode again, mm. where I've just never gotten back to that because there are other things I want to play. Here it's mostly that, like, right. I managed to do the main story in probably 10 hours. Like, it's a pretty short main story, so I figured, eh, I can probably squeeze the extra mode in before Bayonetta Origins come out, and that way I'll just, you know, that'll be completely marked off and I don't have to worry about it anymore. Right. Plus, it's usually not as long going back through something that you just kind of, yeah. you're already pretty familiar exactly. with. Yeah. And that makes sense. Well, as far as myself, um, I've been playing all kinds of stuff lately, but um, two games I want to mention today. Um, the first one was actually one that I've been wanting to get into for a while. Um, I played this one on my Steam Deck, but it is on the Switch as well. It's called Alba, A Wildlife Adventure. And um, this is a super charming game. It's made by Us2 Games, who are mostly known for uh, Monument Valley. Uh, and they also have an upcoming project for the Switch that's a weird kind of dodgeball strategy game. Um, they do all kinds of stuff. But Al Alba, A Wildlife Adventure, it is, it's just such a charming game. The, have you played this one, uh, I haven't played it, but I have watched a playthrough of it. So I am aware of it. Yeah. Okay. It, it's just, man, I was smiling the whole time I was playing this game. Um if you ever want to know what it's like to live on a remote Spanish island and take photos of wildlife, this is your game. Um, you play as this little girl named Alba, and she is going around this island trying to document the wildlife and just generally do things to clean up the island. Um, there's this big hotel that's going to be built right on this nature preserve, and so she's trying to collect petition signatures to save it. And um, that may not sound super exciting, but you get to do a lot of fun stuff in this game. It's a lot of it is going around and like, you know, collecting trash and freeing animals and stuff. But um, I actually had a great time going around and trying to find, you know, you, you have like a smartphone camera and um, there's incentive to go around and try and capture photos of as many of the different types of birds and, you know, just general wildlife that you can. And it's really fun, you know, going to the different regions and trying to figure out where all these little critters are hanging out at. Yeah, it looked super charming and chill from what I saw. It gave me kind of like um, a short hike or little gator game vibes in terms of just, you know, it's relaxing, it's calm, it's kind of nostalgic in a way. You can just kind of vibe out and just play for a few hours and enjoy yourself. 
Yeah, totally. And um, yeah, nostalgic is a good word for it, which is funny because like, you know, I've never been a, <laughs> right, a yeah. girl living on a Spanish island. But like, it, it's, it's so interesting. It's like a game has to be, be pretty well crafted to make you feel nostalgia for something that you've never even lived. <laughs> yep. You know? It just captures that kind I, of experience. I don't even know if that's the right word for like that being point. a child somehow. Yeah, it does. Yeah, you know, exploring and, and you know, just uh, there's an innocence to it, I think, that is like really just wholesome. And, um, and the music is great, too. It's, it's kind of, it doesn't kick in all the time. A lot of the times you're just kind of left with the ambiance of the island and the trees and all that. But when the music does kick in, it's, it's always at like just the right time. And it, you'll hear this like acoustic guitar and, you know, maracas and stuff to like slowly picking up pace as you're running through the forest. And, um, it's a really great experience. I, I can't recommend it enough if you're into these types of, um, smaller bite-sized, really just creative games. Um, and then the other game I've, I've been playing lately is, uh, just came out on the Switch, actually. It's called Have a Nice Death, and, uh, this is a roguelike that we've seen quite a bit of. Um, it's been on Steam Early Access for about a year. Um, it's been shown off for the Switch a few times, I want to say, and, um, I'll have a review up on the site. It might be up at the time you're hearing this, actually, but, um... You know, I'm not traditionally a huge roguelike guy, and I think the thing that got me interested in this game was just the art direction and just how smoothly animated it is. And um, I've been having a lot of fun with it, actually. It's it's probably the first roguelike that I've enjoyed, like, really substantially, I want to oh, say. Nice. Out of curiosity, how does it um, function as a Switch port? That was kind of my one concern looking at it, is that they, they, they would be able to kind of transition the art style cleanly. Yeah, um, no, I, I haven't really had any major issues. Um, it runs really smoothly. Um, it has some loading times that are, I think, a bit longer than on other platforms when you're going to a new region, um, a new environment. Um, and I did have, you know, one or two glitches that had to have me restart my game, but... Overall, I mean, it's a really solid port. Um, it's the only console version that they have announced at this point. Um, and I think you can tell that they've put a lot of work into trying to optimize it for the system. Awesome. Um, yeah. I'd, and, you know, I think the reason... I mean, not to keep repeating myself, but I think the reason why this game really clicks with me is just because of, like, when, when you're playing through these stages and you know, not just how tight everything feels, but just the overall presentation, the enemy design, um, the way the randomized stages are built, you know, even though it's a roguelike game, a lot of it still feels very handcrafted, and um, it's certainly not the same type of experience as, like, playing a traditional 2D platformer, but it gets a lot of mileage out of those things, and so I didn't really mind the roguelike structure as much just because of how polished everything else was you know right that's that's great to hear <laughs> this is something i'll probably pick up at some point eventually <laughs> yeah yeah and also i i learned while i was writing my review for the game is that um some of the developers who worked on um the most recent 2d raymond games raymond origins and raymond legends um some of them worked on this game oh. as well which i think explains a lot of why it looks so right. good. Right, those games 
looked awesome for being 2D. They had a great kind of way of establishing contrast between the background and foreground. Um, and I, I guess I can kind of see that similarity here. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, if I'm going to quote myself a little bit, it's it, this feels like a roguelike for people who aren't sure if they like roguelikes. <laughs> like, it really seems like they're trying to make the genre feel a little more accessible. There are, like... There's there's um there's a ton of different like difficulty modes in this game. I haven't unlocked all of them so far, but early on in the game you unlock like an easier difficulty if you're struggling with the basic one. But they say that there's like 17 difficulty levels in this game that add different levels right. of challenge yeah, seen that. and modifiers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um it's honestly like shocking how much like variability there is between runs too. Um like, even though you'll end up, you know, visiting a lot of the same uh, regions in, in the game, you know, you're going through the different floors of Death's headquarters, and <laughs> it's, it's also just really funny, like, uh, each of the departments has a name, like, you'll go to the Industrial Pollution Department, where the person in charge of it is all about, like, creating new ways to, like, ruin the Earth's atmosphere, <laughs> then you'll go to the, um, like, the Processed Food Department, <laughs> it's just like... This is really clever stuff. Oh, I like that. And the bosses in this game, yeah. Yeah, and all the bosses are uh, different employees of, um, like, Death's operation who've kind of, like, gone rogue and started doing their own thing. So one of the early bosses, his name is Brad. He's, like, in charge of security. <laughs> and um, <laughs> It's got a great sense of humor to it. The writing is really funny. Um and it's all just amplified by the animation. So it's it's a great game. I, I recommend it for sure. <laughs> all right, folks. Well, thank you for joining us for this episode of Nintendo Everything Refresh. We really appreciate all of our listeners, especially those of you who have been with us from the beginning. If you like the show, please spread the word. Tell your friends. Tweet about it. Reshare it. Whatever it is that you like to do. Um, we would love to get more folks listening this year. And if you have any suggestions for the show, we always keep our email in the show notes. And if you have any questions, maybe, or any topic ideas, we are always open to stuff like that. So please drop us a line, email is in the show notes. And with that, we will be back at you next week with everything new and exciting in the world of Nintendo. Thanks, guys.